Hello, team. Welcome back to the Best Speech Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Pacquion, returning after a COVID-related hiatus. I would classify as less than ideal, but we're back, and I am so excited to share this episode with you. This is an episode with Tim Schurer. Yeah, that's how you pronounce that. Didn't see it, did you? Tim is the author of The Secret Society of Success, a book that I've been recommending left and right. If you are, especially if you are in the corporate world, oh my gosh, this is so helpful. This book is all about a new way to define success that's counter to what culture is selling and certainly counter to what most people are doing. I think it's particularly useful if you're the type of person who does the little things behind the scenes and you wonder, is anybody noticing this? Does this matter? Oh my gosh, this book is so good. Buy it for yourself, read it for yourself, share it with your department, share it with HR, bring Tim in to speak. It is the sort of book that will change cultures at companies. And on this episode, Tim and I are talking about working together on this speech. So here's the deal. Tim and I have been working together for a little while. All of a sudden, he starts getting speaking gigs. (laughs) We haven't talked in a while, and Tim just went out and gave a speech. So uh, what we're going to do in this podcast, we can't play the whole thing for a couple reasons, but we're going to play parts of the speech, and I'm going to interrupt it from time to time to ask Tim questions, and then we'll talk about him speaking as a whole. I think you're going to love this podcast. So let's take a listen. Tim Schurer, author of The Secret Society of Success. Friends, we're here with Tim Schurer. I've been... uh, I've been instructed that the best way to pronounce his last name is just to kind of mumble, make it sound vaguely like sure, S-U-R-E. If you're looking at how it's spelled, there's there's just a lot of, there's a lot for your, like, your mouth to control there, like sure. There's a lot of R's in there. There's, there are. That's a tough signature, I would imagine. Uh, here's the deal. So Tim has a book that will release by the time this podcast drops. So the book releases on the 17th of May. The book is called The Secret Society of Success. <laughs> Stop chasing the spotlight and learn to enjoy your work and life again. Yeah. Tim and I have known each other for quite a bit. He told me sometime last year that he was writing a book. I remember you you posting that you had signed the paperwork on and I was like, "What? Like this is out of nowhere." It was surprising to me because I know Tim. Tim is a super talented guy, super achiever. Everybody who knows Tim loves him. My very first thought was, wait a minute, but this guy's platform is not that big, which is kind of ironic given what the book is about. So Tim Tim has since, I guess, finished writing the book, started your speaking career. Like, it's pretty awesome. The book looks great. And uh, I guess late 2021, we talked about working together on the speech for this. So the, the, the plan was for me to read the book, which I was able to do really quickly. The book's a, a great read, but it's also fast. Um, so I was able to read that pretty quickly. Great stories in there. Great points. Changed the way that I approach things. We started working on it. Tim got busy and basically said, I got a lot of other things coming on. <laughs> Let's talk closer to book launch. <laughs> and then... All of a sudden, out of the blue, he's asked to speak before the book releases, which, folks, is not usually how it works for a first-time author. Usually, first-time author, put the book out there. People like it. A month or two afterwards, you start getting calls. Now, with Tim's case, the material is so good. Everybody likes Tim. He's going to ask to speak beforehand. So, Tim, with that big setup, <laughs> give, us, give us the 90-second the version what the book's about. And that's just setting the context for our conversation about your speech. So I'll say this real quick, and then I will do that. 
So spent almost 10 years working with Donald Miller and three months before the release, I kind of made this impossible decision walking away from a dream job and decided to chase this new dream writing this book. And that 90 days was way busier than I anticipated. I'm thinking, oh, I got all this free time. We can dig in, start to figure out the keynote, chip away at it. And you and I had several calls leading up to yep. it, starting to figure out, okay, what's the set list more or less? What are the big themes and what's the content that we want to put in? But you and I were talking about getting together and really cranking on this thing. And I just kept kicking the can. Okay, I, I got to get all this other stuff before the book release. Let's really dig in after the book comes out because that's the first time that I'm going to be given any opportunities to speak anyway. So we don't really have to do anything until May. But exactly like you said, <laughs> I all of a sudden get this phone call from this company in Nashville and they thought that my book was really great content for a meeting they were doing for their staff. And so they bought copies of the book for every single team member. And I just said, all right, here we go. And so the, the, the book is around this idea of all the cultural messaging, the narrative that we hear is success looks like stepping into the spotlight, climbing the ladder, being the boss, it's money, fame, power, that's it. And there's a whole group of people that I have come to know as what I call the secret society of success. These are people defining success differently than that. And because I chased that other version in my life and it just kind of felt exhausting and just didn't give me the kind of fulfillment that I really was looking for. But when I've started to now define success in line with the way of the secret society, I've just really leaned into a, a path and a life that just feels so much more sustainable and it lets me truly just exhale and breathe. And so my goal is to help people redefine success for themselves because that to me feels like the beginning of living the kind of life that you really want to live, not what you're pressured to feel like you should live, right? Yeah, not what comparison would have you do and jealousy would have you do and that never-ending path yeah. where nothing's good enough. It always, uh, the visual that I've had is kind of silly, but there's that that stint. I forget if you're, did you watch The Office? Mm -mm. I, I'm an, I know enough, but I actually was not diehard. I was not expecting that answer. Well, <laughs> there's, there's a point where, where Dwight gets let go and like the day after he's gone, Michael starts asking these questions about the office. He's like, well, why weren't the plants watered? The night crew usually cleans or they usually like assort the little toys on my desk and someone tells him, no, 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 that was, that was Dwight the whole time. And <laughs> I don't know if I call Dwight secret society because he's a bit of a strange character and certainly likes the spotlight, but that's, that's like the scene that plays for me. Yeah. <laughs> So much work goes unnoticed, unrecognized, yeah. unappreciated. And so kind of what do we do about that? There's definitely a lot there that a lot of people are up against in their lives for sure. Yeah. And if, if your whole thing is about recognition, that's, that's, that's tough because recognition yeah. runs out. So it's a great book, high recommendation. The tricky thing is when you've got a great book with a million different anecdotes and stories in it, how do you pare that down? into a, a 30 or yeah. 45 minute talk. So 
in this episode, here's what we're going to do. Tim and I will discuss some of this. And, and frankly, y'all, this is this is partially a, a public debrief because <laughs> Tim and I haven't, haven't totally caught up on these things. So uh, the idea of this episode is we're going to we're going to play excerpts of Tim and we'll, we'll stop it. So we're not going to play the whole talk, but we'll play the beginning. We'll talk about the beginning a little bit of like what's going through your head. Why did you do it this way? And Tim, by the way, if the answer is you told me to, you meaning Mike told you to, like, that's fine. I, like, I, I honestly don't remember what we talked about, so who knows. And then we'll, we'll do that same thing for the end. And then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about some of your expectations moving forward, what you've learned so far. And then my goal would be, because this is, this is the start of your speaking journey as it pertains to this book. You're going to end up giving this talk hundreds of times. My goal would be to have you on again in six months or a year. Say, hey, remember when it sounded like this and and see how it's changed and what you've learned on your speaking journey. Yes. So. No, that that's awesome. I, I would I agree. I think it's just gonna keep getting better, but it is fun to get a little bit of a snapshot at where it is now. Having given it the first time before you and I had even really gotten to dig in too deep together. So this is an attempt. And now let's pick it apart, figure out how we can make it better. Because to me, as I look at my life and really anything that I want to chase down, continuous improvement is the game. There is no finish line. It's just keep making it better, keep learning. And uh, we're going to do a lot of that together. So I'm actually really, really excited about this. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to play this. We're going to play it with the introduction of Tim, because I think that's important. One quick note here. There was something weird with the mic, Tim. Yeah, it's almost like the mic was a little dysfunctional, almost had like a bit of a rattle to it. And it took me a while to even figure out how do I hold this thing to where it doesn't make all this extra noise. It was very strange. It's almost like there was a loose part in it. And every time I would kind of move, it would make a little noise. Anyways, so that was a whole thing. You had to, you had to hold the microphone very still too. That's I was an interesting. Like trying to hold it almost on just the top, like the very, very top, almost with like a couple fingers to just try to not have as much of the noise that I was hearing come through the speakers. <laughs> okay. We'll talk. Let's talk about the microphone after you like holding a microphone. I detest holding a microphone, but we'll, we'll talk about it later. Okay. So we're going to play the first five minutes. And when I said first five minutes, that's not five minutes of Tim talking, but it's the first five minutes, meaning Tim being introduced and in the beginning part of Tim's talk. So let's take a listen. But no, we've been talking about this idea of resist, right? And I think is 44 years in business, what a way to celebrate. Let's talk about what success looks like and how do we resist societal pressure of telling us what success is, but redefining it as a group, redefine success as an agency, as one agency together. And so we brought in a guy named Tim, a friend of mine, the smiliest dude I know, but also the expert on redefining success. This guy is on a pursuit to redefine it. And I'm so thankful that he's here with us today to talk about it. He's dropping a book May 17th. You guys all get a copy today, hot off the press. Woo! I'm sure he's happy to sign them. Let's just see how the speaking engagement is first where you ask. But what a gift this is to have Tim here to talk to us about success and what that really means. Perhaps it's not fame or money or power. Perhaps it's fulfillment and joy and that's what we're all seeking together. So I'm going to kick it over to Tim to talk about the secret society of success. All right, let's stop it right there. How are you feeling right now? You're about to go on stage. I actually felt really comfortable. I, I thought 
I know that if I can get people to smile, that's a really great start. I'm not the guy up there who's going to be dropping a bunch of jokes, but I also know that I'm really comfortable when I'm smiling and other people are smiling. So I'm almost trying to do that. I, and so she introducing me as like the smilest guy or whatever, I just get to be up there and I'm smiling, I'm having a good time. So I'm actually excited to go step up in front. But I, I don't know if I would, I was actually surprisingly very comfortable. So there was a, I, I would even have a hard time saying I was super nervous because I, I really wasn't. My hands weren't shaking. I was eager to get into it, but she, I thought, really teed me up really, really well. Yeah. I, I liked that introduction a lot. Yeah, and when you hear people laughing at her introduction of you, I mean, you've got you've got a home game. This is oh, a, I'm great. This is a good but up. here yeah. is a thing that I think is interesting. In that room, it was a pretty bad and difficult room. What I mean by that is there's 125 people in this room. It's an all-staff meeting, the first time that they had all been together for a couple of years in the same space. But this isn't at an event space where everyone's in chairs and there's a really nice sound system. It's like an in-house office sound system with television screens that are usually like on the wall, kind of pulled out on their mounts and facing people so they can kind of see it. This was not a speaker-friendly environment in that way. There's people sitting on the floor. There's people standing in the back of the room. They're leaning against the wall. So in some ways, this is a pretty tough room to speak to. But So I, I hope that also paints the picture of the environment that I'm, I'm walking into. And no one here is like, I can't wait to hear somebody give a 30-minute talk right now. I, I think that's about, they had just finished drinking mimosas and there was a break dancer right before me and everyone's hyped up on energy. This is kicking off this celebration and now they have to sit here and listen to somebody give a keynote. So this was all true. That wasn't really in my head. I yeah. saw my goal is it, truly, if I can make people smile, I think we're gonna have a good time. So all of that context that's that's kind of what we're we're stepping into. But you're walking out on stage and you're seeing friends, not wolves, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and to be clear, there is no stage. I'm stepping onto the flat floor that they are also sitting on, just <laughs> you know, near the front of the room. Uh, quick speaking tip for people who have a good amount of speaking anxiety, or even even if you don't, if you're just feeling nervous in the moment, if there are people sitting on the floor. If there are people standing against walls, those tend to be the people that will not give you confidence when you look at them, just because it's literally uncomfortable for them. So if you're walking out there and you're not feeling fully confident, try to look at the people who are who have chairs and normal places to sit rather than the people who are having to balance against the wall. All right. So Tim's feeling good walking out. Let's uh, let's hear how he starts this talk. I'm sure you all know the story of Apollo 11, man's first trip to the moon. You have Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. But what a lot of people don't know, there was actually a third astronaut on that mission, and his name was Michael Collins. He's the guy right here in the middle. So here you have Michael, the guy ubers Neil and Buzz to the moon, drops them off, so they can do the various tasks that they have to do on the moon's surface while 
he, back in the command module, orbits the moon something like 26 times until the guys are ready to be picked up and brought back to Earth. What would make this a pretty miserable story is if Michael were to get back, sit down with the press and say something like, well, it sure would have been nice to actually walk on the moon. Or, you know, acted like a victim, tried to take the spotlight away from the mission as a whole. But what's beautiful is that's not at all what happened. He talked about how content he was to have had one of those three seats. He was happy to be part of the mission. So why is it that to be successful, we feel like we have to step into the spotlight, climb the ladder, you know, have fame, money, and power. Do we have to actually walk on the moon to be happy? And we're pressured to believe that if we don't have those things, we should chase after them. And it's just leaving us feeling exhausted. Uh, my name is Tim Schur, and for almost a decade, uh, I was the right hand to Donald Miller running his company's story brand. And in my time with Don, but also working at Tom's Shoes and then at Apple under Steve Jobs, I've discovered a secret society of people I call the secret society of success that have shown me a new way to live and a new way to define success. So what I'm going to do today is share you stories about people in the secret society and also show you how you can be a part of it too. If there is a common denominator, uh, a thing that people in the secret society have, really, this is it. At the heart of it, they want to help others win. They're all about the team striving for excellence, doing their part, whatever seat they might may find themselves in. So the question for us is, for you to be a part of the secret society, it really comes down to how you answer this question. What is success? So in the next 20 minutes, I want to walk us through some ways that we can perhaps think about success a little bit differently. But before we do that, we have to realize the one thing that is going to keep us from the definition of success that the secret society would use is we have to learn to identify and overcome something that I call the spotlight mindset. All right, that feels like a good place to stop right there. It's also where I had to stop and take a drink. <laughs> My mouth was dry. I was like, so there is a physical thing when if your mouth gets dry like that, I have noticed that those are usually the moments where when I am a little bit more uncomfortable. My mouth is not dry right now as you and I are talking. But yeah. on stage, that is a thing that I experience. And so I knew... Let me take a drink. That Now I hear my voice sounding better rather than the stickiness of and feeling my mouth being dry while trying to just power through. That almost perpetuates the uncomfortable feeling where something as simple as drinking a little bit of water um, alleviated some of that. So anyways, in that moment, though, I was feeling this pressure, like I need a drink of water, so let me get to a slide and just give myself the freedom to literally take five seconds and take a drink. But I actually was feeling pressure in that moment. And um, I had to do it again in another couple minutes. And I learned something even from one, that one pause. Let me put something on the screen that they can read mm -hmm. 
so that it, it, it buys me a little time. And so right there, there's actually a to build part of the slide. So I say something called the spotlight mindset. And then what I say right after that is, which I define as an unhealthy desire for attention and recognition. So what I should have done in that moment and what I would do again if I had to drink, take a drink is that I call the spotlight mindset and advance all the way to where the definition is also on the screen so they can be reading while I'm drinking. So it's even just, okay, let me see what can I learn, even just from a moment like that and give something that people can read on the screen. Anyways, but in that moment, I, I was uh, that you, you paused right where I also paused. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like a proud parent hearing you think through how you'd use the slides. Uh, all right, Tim, I lied. I do remember some of the things we talked about, to be to be honest. But let's tell everybody else. So the book the book starts with the Michael Collins story. That's the first story in the book. Is that the reason why you started the speech with the Michael Collins story? So there is an introduction in the book that is a few pages, but you know, chapter one is where the Michael Collins story starts there. Um, you know, I, I start that in the talk just because I feel like, so at this point, as I'm, I've given this talk, this keynote, I had done 50 different podcast interviews. So I had in a lot of ways rehearsed so much yeah. of this content that the challenge for me wasn't in telling the stories in a way that I was happy with. It's more the bridges in between the stories. Like how do I get from story to story? That was really the opportunity that I felt I had in this keynote. So I started with that story because I just felt like in all of these podcast interviews that I've done, that to me is a story that really gets us into this, into it. We, we, we hear a story, it's interesting. It's a thing that people hadn't necessarily heard before. And yet it really allows me to tee up what I want to talk to them about. So that's why I started with that. Well, it's just interesting because the instinct for a lot of people is to begin with your own story, which is not a bad thing to do. Even if you're starting with your own story, the idea behind that is I'm starting with my own story, but I'm doing it strategically so that the audience sees themselves in my story. But this, this does not start with Tim's story. This starts with Michael Collins, which... I think it's a stronger way to go. I also just don't think that this is me not being self-deprecating strategically. It's just my honest opinion. I don't think people care about me. I don't think there's a part in my story that's that interesting that I am going to say anything that will really blow them away as a brand new face, somebody that they had never heard of. So what I need to do to build the trust and the credibility is to show them that here are some stories, here are some thoughts that have you leaning into what I am saying. I don't really care if you remember my name at the end of this, but if you remember some of the things that I have taught you, and they already are getting a copy of the book, so I actually have a little bit of a like safety net here where they're gonna find out my name and you know all of that later, but I just didn't feel like that's super necessary or important. Yeah. I want them to get into the content, so what I am good at, I think, in this book, but also in how I want to talk about these things is I want to be, be a curator of great stories that allow people to think differently. So let me leverage that in even how I kick off the talk from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. I think it's super smart. It, yeah, so it's interesting. You introduce yourself about two minutes in. 
So most people, very first words out of their mouth, hey, I'm Mike, hey, I'm Tim. It's not bad to do that, by the way. But it takes a while for you to get to the point where you're talking about yourself. So you start off with this pretty awesome story about Michael Collins. It's so funny, like he Ubers them to the moon. <laughs> by the way, I don't know if you want to do this or not. This is just an idea I had. But you could, because the slide is a picture of the three of them, and you could briefly click to another slide that's like you know the uber screen uh-huh. like you could you could have that with like a review like michael houston texas and like five stars <laughs> so you could do that to like, really like lean up. into it yeah no yeah. I, I i love that if you, idea if you want but i mean let's see how that performs but that's just an idea <laughs> I, I love that you you go back and forth between authoritative in the way that you present it with a touch of conversational so you say he orbits something like 26 times. I really don't think it matters to the audience if it's tw- 25 or 26. We all get that picture. I was actually thinking as, as you were describing that, I'm like, wait, what did that look like? So is he, is it like, you know, my son's on the carousel and I'm waiting for him to come around. Is it, is it like that? Like, is he's yes, occasionally but- seeing his buddies? But he goes to the dark side of the moon where he loses all communication with Houston. And he has these periods every time he orbits, he he loses that connectivity. So he was actually interviewed and a lot of people were, you know, kept pressing on him this. They were calling him the loneliest man in the world. <laughs> Cause here he is truly disconnected from everybody. Anyways, um, it's kind of interesting. Wild. I love I love that you landed. Do we have to actually walk on the moon? And Having listened to the whole talk, I actually think you should return to that somewhere mm. in the talk, like that exact yeah. quote somewhere later. Maybe it's just the very end. Do we actually have to walk on the moon? But I, I love that you landed here. I love that you preview and you say in the next twenty-one or in the next twenty minutes. Uh, that's that's a Mike Pacquiao tip. I don't know if I gave you that or if you just did that on your own, but I love telling people that. It just makes you sound so prepared to be able to say this is going to take another 20 minutes or 21 or 17 or whatever it is. So I love that. And you land on that point of helping others win, which yeah. you will then say several times in this talk. Yeah. And, and I think that idea, if you hear nothing else, I want people to just know, okay, what's it look like to live in the way of the secret society, the secret society, they help others win. So it's a bit of this foundation that I think people are like, okay, I at least also know where this is headed. So you talk about secret society, they help others win and really big on the screen. I put help others win. So, and then you identify what the spotlight mindset is. You move into this great Michael Hyatt story that I I will play and we'll just, there's not that much to discuss. It's just a fantastic story, but let's play it. I love the way that you deliver this part. And In one of Michael's books, he talks about a particular failure that he had in his career. And he was given the opportunity to run a division at a book publishing company. And at the time, this particular division was ranked 14th out of 14 in all the significant metrics. Team morale, revenue, I mean, they were at the bottom. So Michael tells the then CEO, give me three years and I'm going to turn this thing around. Well, in only 18 months, he turns the thing around. His division is now at the top. Team morale, revenue. Do we have to move in here to get this thing to, to drop? <laughs> wait, wait, pause it, pause it, pause it. Yeah. So, so in that moment, 
the lights in the whole room just turned off. And it's like those motion lights in an office. And because everyone was sitting so still, the lights literally turned off. So that is me just calling out, wait, does somebody need to move to get these lights back on? I thought that was that was very aware on your part to not completely freak out. Because I think if I were presenting and the lights went completely off, I'd be wondering, what's going on? Is this a fire drill? Is something bad happening? Well done keeping your composure. <laughs> Let's keep playing. They're at the top. In all of these uh, metrics, Michael gets a bonus check that he says was greater than his annual salary. He couldn't wait to get home and tell his wife about this. His wife was his biggest fan. He knew she'd be thrilled. But the conversation he had with his wife was very different from the one that he was expecting. He gets home, sits down with his wife, and she says, we need to talk. It's not a good start. <laughs> <laughs> And he said, with tears in her eyes, she says, your five daughters need you now more than ever before. And in fact, I feel like a single parent. So here he was having all the success that he could imagine at work. And yet relationships with the people that mattered most to him were suffering because of it. To close the loop on the Michael story, he actually wrote this book. How he defines success is different today than it used to be. He calls this the double win, winning at work and succeeding in life. But if we're not careful, the spotlight mindset can trip us up. It can have us chasing a different path, possibly damaging the relationships with people that matter most to us. All right, Tim. I mean, that story is fantastic. There are other spotlight stories you could have used. Was there a runner up to using this one? I've just done this one on podcasts so often and I just love it. And it feels like people get it because there is this connection to this cultural definition of success, which is success is he, you know, he gets a bonus check bigger than his annual salary, his team's at the top. And yet here he was with his family and relationships with them were suffering. So there wasn't really a runner up. I mean, in this particular talk, I break down the spotlight mindset a little bit and give, here's seven symptoms. So for each of the seven, I could call out a story and probably talk mm -hmm. about them. But this story to me is just so powerful that I really like leaning in right there. I don't know if there's another story that I could tell that captures the moment. And there's a part, this is probably the most emotional part of the talk so far. Yeah. There was this feeling in the room after I say, your five daughters need you now more than ever before. And in fact, I feel like a single parent. And then I just feel like I pause for a second. You could just feel the room like, yeah. holy smokes, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think one of the things you do really well in telling this story is the buildup. Oh, yeah. So I think we've all, we've all had a friend, or maybe this has happened to us ourselves, where hey, you're not home enough or you're not paying attention to your kids. But the buildup of, I was going to do this and it, give me three years to do it. It was 14th out of 14th. Give me three years. He does it in 18 months. He's feeling so great. And then the contrast between that and what was happening at home tells the whole story. That's the whole point of the speech. Really well done. I'm curious about, because I, I haven't seen it. I've only heard it on audio. Are you Are you walking across the stage? Are you still this whole time? When you're telling the story, do you remember? I don't remember. I felt like I was pretty much in a little space 
it, it yeah. wasn't like a stage where I could really go from side to side. Gotcha. Everyone was pretty much in front of me. So imagine a high top table at the front of a room. I was pretty anchored around that space. I was still moving and I'm a hands guy. So I felt like I was pretty animated with that. But my, my feet were pr probably in about a, you know, six foot circle for the majority of, of the Got time. That would be a really good one. You have a couple different times where you can. So one of the ideas is that you use the stage to show the audience the contrast between the spotlight society and the secret society. Yeah. And you have a couple different places where you could do it there. On a six foot stage, it's not going to be that helpful. But on a bigger stage, you would have a chance to pause maybe just a little bit longer and then walk across the stage to say, I feel like a single parent or or he gets home and, and maybe that's where the contrast occurs, but something like that. I mean, listen, it's great as it is. I'm just in my head. I'm thinking, Ooh, he could do this yeah. on stage. too. Yeah. All right. Let's jump to the end. So Tim set up the end for us. So at this point we've heard different examples of secret society versus spotlight. And as we're proceeding, it's getting more into, Hey, here's what you should do. But now we're coming home. We've got this is going to be the last three minutes of the talk. Set us up for what we're about to hear. So up on the screen, this is a slide that I keep coming back to throughout the talk. It's successes with a big fill in the blank. And so when so I say early same, on, it's the so, same like it's duplicating the same exact slide, right? Exactly. So yeah. I say early on, for you to be a part of the secret society, it really comes down to how you answer this question. What is success? And on the screen, when I say that, it's success is with that fill in the blank line, right? So then throughout the talk, I have four different things that I end up filling in. Success is in the assist. Success is not needing the credit. Success is recognizing others. Success is embracing challenges and learning from failure. And the idea is I give people some new ways to think about how they can define success that would be more in alignment with how the secret society of success would define it. All right, great. So we're going to head for home here uh, and let's hear what Tim says. So what if success is embracing challenges and learning from failure? And I would imagine that by this point, y'all are starting to get it. Success isn't fame, money, power. It's not stepping in the spotlight, climbing the ladder necessarily. What it is, is a lot of the things that we've been talking about. You know, the, the secret society actually has little to do with your position, where you fall on the org chart. That's not it. I mean, I just gave you examples of people in the secret society who are running some of the top companies in the world. People very much in the spotlight. What's different is regardless of position or visibility, People in the secret society just define success differently. They show up differently. So what if success is in the assist? What if it's not needing the credit? What if it's about recognizing others? What if it's about embracing challenges and learning from failure? Y'all are getting back together, trying to, to redefine what success is and uh, this is a phrase that I know you guys are starting to use. Success is our team, our terms, our time. 
The important thing here is that you actually define success for yourself and lean into that rather than having success be defined by you and then just passively moving through life and your career, not really even realizing how you're being influenced, perhaps by the spotlight mindset. So if there's been a North Star for me as I wrote my book, um, which I am so pumped, like you guys, you're getting a copy. How fun is that? <laughs> Um, if there's been a North Star for me, it's this quote. Albert Schweitzer said, I don't know what your destiny will be. Some of you will perhaps occupy remarkable positions. Perhaps some of you will become famous by your pens or as artists. But I know one thing. The only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. So if I were to summarize everything that I've talked about so far, you just can't really go wrong if you start to define success like this, helping others win. So may we be people who learn to help others win, that we learn to identify when the spotlight mindset's creeping up in our lives, that unhealthy desire for attention and recognition, and we use tools, some of the things that we've talked about today, to have us head in a different path. What if success is helping others win? So may we be people that learn to define success in the way of the secret society. Exhale. How are you feeling? You just finished. How are you feeling? I, I was like, man, that went, I, I couldn't have, it couldn't have gone better. I felt that way walking out. So sure. There's things that I wish I could go back and do again. There's even, I even messed up in part of that. I said something like, what if, you know, you can learn to define success rather than it being defined for you. That is what I meant to say. But I, if you listen back, you'll actually hear I screwed up and, and I didn't say that. Um, but I think in all of that, I don't get too bummed about any of the things that I felt like I could see as improvements because if there's one thing that I have learned, success looks like, embracing challenges, learning from failure. I look at every single thing in here that I wish I could have done better as information, things that I can actually use to improve to just keep making this thing better. So I walk out of this actually feeling very good because I was thinking, man, for the first time ever giving this talk on this content, I felt like we are now operating from a pretty solid foundation so felt great to be done, but also get, gets me really excited about digging in with you and figuring out, okay, how do we keep making this thing better? Because yeah. there's things that I can do on the screen with slides to just improve. And so, so much, but I, I, I'm feeling pretty good. And do, do you have people who are kind of coming up and talking to you or do you just leave? So they're off into their own breakouts and all this thing. So I signed a few books for their executive team, but it was like, all right, thanks so much. And they, they're like, all right, so the next thing you're going to do, people with <laughs> last names A through F, you go here. So it was kind of a send everyone off. Oh, that's, such a, that's such a weird transition. But that's, a, that's a, what you're describing is a great, great feeling, knowing that you did it well. I mean, having had the benefit of listening to the entire thing, you are you are deliberate the entire time. There are a couple of times we take a drink, but there's. I always try to tell people what when most people do when they present, 
get on stage, look out at the audience. Most people don't have like a giant smile on their face for 30 straight minutes. So what most people do, and they're probably not aware of this, but what most people do is to an extent, they allow the audience to lead. Because if the audience is smiling, if the audience is laughing, then I feel good. Then I feel like I can have confidence. But what the really good ones do, and what I heard from you in this talk, and and the talk wasn't perfect, but what I heard from you in this talk was not someone who was waiting for the audience to tell him that it's good. You knew it was good. And I think I think part of it is you've done the podcast, so you knew what stories worked. You'd obviously rehearse quite a bit, but you're not searching for words. You don't sound nervous. Uh, that is that is a job well done, my friend. Well, I feel like I was very intentional about, and I feel this way when I do podcasts, because because of me presenting this content so much on shows that I'm not getting immediate feedback, I get to practice. Yeah. I want people to hear me smile. Uh-huh. Yeah, you can hear it. Right? It's and funny. so it's I want people to hear that on a podcast, but when you're in real life, it actually translates even better. I want make I want people to hear me smile. And so the thing about it too that I learned from you is cuz I felt comfortable with the stories. If I could get to the stories, I felt yeah. good, but it was the bridge the bridges between them that I had an opportunity. So I rehearsed this start to finish probably four times, just running it straight through, but I never would stop. I would always get all the way to the end because there was one experience, the second to last time before I presented, I was actually way too uh, behind. I had like eight minutes to go for the 30 minute slot. I had eight minutes to go and like half of my talk left. So in real time during rehearsal, I got to figure out, okay, if this happens on stage, let me figure out how I am going to land the plane. So I had to make choices in rehearsal that set me up for that. So I ended up just knowing too where I was in the talk and knowing how much time I had to then know, do I need to trim down on some of these stories or can I just keep going on business as usual, business as planned, right? And so... If it's if not too for all the rehearsals, I wouldn't have been as dialed in with the bridges. And in my presenter notes, I had more or less a script for each of those moments if I needed them. But what I found myself doing was presenting in front of my computer the majority of the talk. Because I had done it on rehearsals so many times, I more or less knew the script and just got to lean into that and come to find out in real time, I had it in my head way better than I even realized, but I had the safety net. If I needed to go look back at my notes, I could have totally done that. Yeah, that's awesome. I do have one recommendation for the end. I, I think that actually is the great point to reference back to the moon part from the beginning. Yeah. So it's just, we don't need the glory of walking on the moon. May we be people who help others win. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, that's good. Just tie it back to the Apollo 11 thing. Yeah, it's really smart. Yeah. Uh, Tim, give us give us a couple things that you have learned already on your speaking journey. That, I mean, that we haven't brought up yet. What are, what are a couple of things that jump to mind? Like already I've learned blank. I have learned that if I come in with confidence and don't get in my head about how these people are receiving this content, but just kind of stay the course, that they will they will mirror my confidence, yeah. my engagement. I'm trying to go and have some fun with these people, smile and enjoy myself. 
And I started seeing these people nodding and again, going back to the, this was a hard room. My expectations were very low, (laughs) (laughs) but I just wanted to stay on the rehearsal. So if there is something that I have also learned is that rehearsal gave me so much confidence and I would do that again. And so yes, staying the course in terms of the content, I knew exactly what I wanted to say. I gave myself enough room in the talk to kind of go off on tangents if I needed to, but I didn't take the bait and do it. Like it's very tempting to want to go off on tangents, but I just mm-hmm. was like, no, 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 stay, stay the course, stay the content. And then um, I, that truly the confidence that I had from the rehearsal gave me the confidence to stand on stage and present regardless of what people's faces were showing or, you know, the reaction that I was getting. That's super important because this seemed like a pretty friendly crowd, or at least your friend introducing you (laughs) was friendly. You will encounter times where you're going to some company where you've actually been brought in because they've got a problem, which is that everybody at the company has spotlight mentality. And, you you know, you're going to walk in the room and it'll feel different. So for you to be able to have that confidence that like, I believe in this topic, I've delivered it a lot. I know it. That'll be super important moving forward. I was prepared to go present that on a stage for my, myself, almost treat it like another rehearsal. And there just happened to be people in the room. So when I was doing rehearsal, I wasn't getting any feedback. So the fact that I even got a laugh, it's like, oh, cool. That's awesome. But I'm going to just keep rolling because here's the content that I had prepared. And I had presented in rehearsal exactly what I was saying. I want people to hear me smile. So I'm doing all of that and I'm presenting that way the entire time. And you just keep those reps coming. And that's for me. That that matches my personality. That matches me. That's not necessarily true for everyone. Maybe yeah. you don't have a, con- a bit of content that really makes you, you wouldn't want people to be smiling the whole time. And there are some serious moments here, but I also want to be somebody who's bringing some hope. So yeah. let's talk about some of this stuff, the spotlight mindset, some of these mental tricks and you know, some of these mental hard places that we can get to, these spirals, but, but also I want to be the guy who says, there's a path out, here it is. You know, life doesn't have to feel as difficult or as exhausting as we're currently living. And here is how you can live differently. So I'm the hope guy. So the, the, the joy, the smiling that feels important to, to be in integrity with what it is that I'm trying to ultimately communicate. To ensure the hope guy. Hey, I like that. Uh, hey, you can call me the hope guy. I'll be all in on that. The hope guy.com. All right, Tim, this has been awesome. I cannot wait to see I think this is an outstanding first first draft, if you will. And I just can't wait to see how big your game gets. So we'll, we'll bring you back in six months or a year. In the meantime, Tim, where can people find out more about you, buy your book, all those things? Yeah, so if you go to secretsocietyfree.com, secretsocietyfree.com, you can actually get the first two chapters of the book and start to dig into this and really start to ask yourself the question that I was talking about in this keynote. What is success and how can we perhaps define it a little bit differently? Awesome. My friend, this has been a pleasure. Anything else you want to say? Hey, shout out to you because I was confident and prepared because I knew you had my back. And I also know so much of how this came together was because of the conversations we had. So 
just want everyone to hear me say, you are so good at what you do. And the moment I realize, okay, I'm going to be doing keynotes and I, I want this to go really well. I want to build this keynote product the right way. The first thing that I did was call you. So I know that I just really respect you and all of the thoughts that you have. You are the guy who is going to help me make this better. And so um, I, I feel really grateful and fortunate to get to spend time with you and, and dig into all this. Oh my gosh. Much love, my friend. Two nines talking to each other. <laughs> Uncomfortable <laughs> with the spot. <laughs> all right, buddy. We'll talk soon. Special thanks to our guest, Tim Scherer. You can find Tim on Instagram, on Twitter. It's at Tim Scherer. He is also pretty active on LinkedIn. I can't wait to see where Tim's speaking career goes because he's immediately likable. He's good at it. He loves the stories. He's a great guest. Hey, I've been your host, Mike Pacione. The Best Speech Podcast is edited and produced by Alicia Otieno. And the music you're hearing is from Jonah Ramey. We will be back in two weeks' time. And until then, do good things out there.